And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-hosts, Ben Bateman and Baby Yoda. So when you ordered the Baby Yoda, was it already sold out online? Like you had to wait in line kind of a thing for it? Or no? no, I got it in the first 20 minutes. I got three accidentally because it like glitched out. So I think I bought it twice. And then I bought a second one when someone, when my wife was like, oh, you didn't get me one. So I bought three. And when and you now, say accidentally, you definitely mean intentionally. No, no, no. I like intentionally bought two. <laughs> the third one was just because when I hit checkout, it like glitched out and I didn't think I got it. So I just re-bought it again. Wow. So All I right, have rock and roll. Quarantine, um, man. Yeah. Quarantine baby Yodas. So <laughs> welcome to Magic Modern. We are a uh, podcast that focuses on modern and magic and all of the modern lifestyles of a magic player. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about uh, kind of question is, is modern a rotating format? So this is a big question that's been going on just in general as more and more powerful cards are being printed. Like obviously modern doesn't rotate as in like a set leaves and, and as new sets come in the way standard does, but the format has been due to the power level of cards being printed, been changing pretty drastically on at least a quarterly basis. Um, and, and at some points in the last year, shorter time frames, and that on top of bannings has obviously kind of increased this as a problem. Um, so we wanted to get into kind of a conversation about how the power level of cards that Wizards is printing, how they're affecting older formats. Is this intentional? Um, there's definitely some kind of like conspiracy theories that Wizards is printing powerful cards in the standard because they want modern players to buy more standard packs. Um, there's conversations about how it used to be. And, and you know, we've had many conversations. We'll revisit it a little bit this episode on how um, kind of like there's a misconception that sets in standard don't didn't used to affect modern. And that's just been untrue. So yeah, so that's yeah, what we're talking we've about. Had, we've, had a, we've had a pretty major impact for a long time on that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is when we were doing our, our you know, tea time at the House of Modern, which is our thing with our patrons we do before the show every week. One of the topics that came up in the conversation this week was we had a patron who was saying, you know, I was thinking about buying into Modern back around War of the Spark. But looking at the power level of the cards involved, I just felt like my cards were going to get outclassed if this was the direction we went in. And I decided to wait because I didn't feel like there was enough stability. And so I thought that was really interesting as the guys that have been doing modern content now for five years that, you know, somebody who's a very, very like a staunch committed magic person interested in those eternal formats decided to wait because essentially the idea is modern is kind of a rotating format, even though when you say that, Alex, it's not really i mean a rotating format for anybody who's listening and you know trying to figure out what that means is rotating formats are like standard it's as, as as cards are introduced to the format older cards rotate out there's always a set number of cards and, and years that are sort of available and modern is not that or classically hasn't been that it's cards back to 2003 back when the card face changed everything printed then and forward it's not banned is legal in the format that's what modern is and 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 that was it's you know, being a rotating format is is almost the antithesis to what modern is, right? They they before modern was created, extended and the new extended were the next step after standard, and both of those had issues because of kind of the rotation, right? People would invest in very expensive decks, like you know, you would buy Tarmogoyf and then they would rotate out of the format, and that was always kind of problematic and made the format really unpopular. And the only time people really played it when, when it was a, a pro tour or PTQ based uh, environment format. And so that was always kind of a big limitation. And then the popularity of legacy kind of showed wizards that they could do something different. And so they made modern to be a place that cards from standard would rotate into. And then you could just always play them. They're never going to go away. You're always going to get to play with your Tomagoyfs, your Liliana's of the veil, your snapcaster mages. Um, and be able to pick a deck and be able to play it for, you know, indeterminate amount of time. Now, obviously, metagame shifts happen. That, that's something they expect. They want that to happen because um, otherwise the format could become stale. Um, and for the first five years, they would actually ban cards more to create um, kind of this feeling of freshness in the format. Um, uh, most famously is Splinter Twin and Birthing Pod, probably, uh, where Birthing Pod was banned during the Delve era to, to mix it up because Delve cards were going to be banned. But if they banned all the Delve cards, Birthing Pod would have just stayed to be the best deck in the format would deck, rotate right. to right before Delve was was good, right? They would have gone right back to, to that August. And so they wanted the Pro Tour that was coming up to be something that was totally new. And then Splinter Tour was a very similar case. Um, so so it, it, is, it is something that Modern has always had a little bit of this joking rotation through bannings. But... Since War of the Spark, the power level of sets coming out has just been so high that people just have the vibe of like my deck won't be viable 
for three months. And then you had the layer of multiple bannings this year between Mox Opal, Faithless Looting, uh, Hogak, Bridge from Below, got to say the right bridge, <laughs> uh, uh, Oko, Veil of Summer, not Veil of Summer, uh, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, yeah Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time. And, you know, soon likely companions, like, not only are these bannings happening, the cards then come out before those bannings, totally modifying what the format looks like, then they get banned. Like, there's basically almost a month and a half rotation in every format in, in Magic. Um, and so we want to get kind of deep dive in there. Before we do, we do want to big, give a big shout out to the Nobles of House Martyr. And this, uh, this is uh, part of our Patreon. Uh, you can check it out, patreon.com. There's, you get full unedited raw versions of the video, uh, where if we get into little arguments or you get to hear us communicating with Marshall, if we have cool editing points, if I swear, um, which getting better at, <laughs> uh, you uh, also get to get all this other cool stuff. And the nobles get to hang out in a cool private chat right before each episode where we talk about what we're going to talk about that week. They get a little bit of an inside scoop. They help kind of, you know, their opinions already kind of mentioned, help sculpt what we're going to talk about. Um, so this is to you, Nobles of House Modern. Pinky's up. Pinky's up. And, uh, and and those three people are Andrew Kelso, Cam Albergini, and Brandon S. Russell. This month, thank you guys all so much for your support in the uh, as the Nobles of House Modern. It's been a blast to get to hang out with you guys before the show. Yeah. So um, it's it's a very interesting topic we talk about, Alex, because I feel like the difference between right now and and it's been almost ten years now since Modern's inception, which is pretty crazy to think that it's almost been ten years since we started this whole journey of really developing this format. We're like, I think 2011 to 2000 modern has it isn't 10 years old. No, when I, yeah, yeah. 2003 was 2003 was the, that's the card face change. Mm -hmm. And in 2011, it might've been 2012, but I think it's 2011 was the year that it was introduced. I think modern's nine ish years old. 2011 was pro tour Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're, we're at nine years or eight and a half. Yeah. 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 Okay. So in the eight and a half, nine year range. So if you think about sort of modern from that, like 2011, to 2016 range mm -hmm. there was definitely like we, we talked about it earlier, a little bit already you know eldrazi and you talk about splinter twin but like and i guess that's probably on the tail end of those years but really it feels like the last two and a half years every few months you know like i remember when you made the big call on arclight phoenix which we're going to talk about kind of set by set in just a minute but that at the time seemed like this huge card that got printed you know it was a big deal it really affected the format that was one card from that set. Pretty much every set from that one forward had like five plus cards that totally turned modern on its head. Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting watching. I mean, and then a Night of Autumn too, right? Like Night of Autumn and Arclight Phoenix were both in that set. Um, and then and then probably Ravnica Allegiance didn't do a whole lot of, of, of modifications, but then War of the Spark comes out and like it's so hilarious to me that Neoform was this big bad coming out of the gate, right? Where this card that got multiple, like multiple people thought should be banned. It was winning on turn two, um, kind of breaking the format. And a year later, it's not even the fifth best card for more of the spark. You don't even, you don't even think it's top five. I don't think so. Like just, just off the top of my head without thinking, I think Teferi is better. I think Karn is better. I think um, Narset. Narset is probably better. Blast Zone was in that set, right? Arboreal Grazer was in War of the Spark. <laughs> is Arboreal Grazer the best card in War of the Spark? I think it is. Oh, yeah. No. Yes. Come, yes. Arboreal Grazer, the zero three that puts a land in a play. You mean? You mean? Uh, uh, what is it? Mox Diamond. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I think I think I'm willing to go on record and say Arboreal Grazer <laughs> is the best set in War, best card in War of the Spark. We can both agree that War of the Spark was a major, major, major player. I think we can both agree that you know War of the Spark changed the game. So, no, but I need you, uh, I need you to agree that Arboreal Grazer was the best card in the format. It's definitely not. It's part of one really good deck. It's in, in every format. It's like seen four of play in multiple decks. <laughs> it's in two decks in modern. What okay, so because uh, we talked about this like two weeks ago, uh -huh. we like had a pretty full conversation about this card and yeah. why this card was better than other things like it in the past. I mean, is it just because well, it's an ETB one green, right? So, so for so, so in essence, it is Mox Diamond, right? Mox, it's a Mox Diamond that instead of zero mana to discard a card and get a land in the play, 
right? It's one green mana to discard a card and get a land into play. That card you're discarding is just going to play, right? It's a land. You have one less card in hand, and now there's a land in play. And for one green mana, you're getting a free 0-3 reach. Creature that can attack. It doesn't even have defender. It's just a 0-3 that if you can give it any type of ability, it can attack. It's also a great blocker and slows every aggressive deck down. Like, Goblin Guide just is shut down by this card um, and draws you the land back. So, like, that's kind of the point, right? It's a one mana mox diamond. I mean, I guess I guess it's probably true. I haven't brewed with Aberdell Grazer outside of the decks that already play it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's traditionally has been played so far in sort of rampy decks. That's like that's where it's showing. Yeah, up. yeah, like 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 before the decks that I've seen, you're probably seeing the most play are stuff that are trying to get Primeval Titan to play, right? Either decks that are trying to do it with Scapeshift or decks that are trying to do it with Amulet. It feels like since War of the Spark, and I would I would say it is War of the Spark. I don't think it's Dominaria. I think it starts with War of the Spark. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the Dominaria had Teferi, right? That's like the big real contribution. And the card is obviously very good. But it's not like like that. This is kind of the point before. Like the era before War of the Spark, every single set would have one to three cards that would be contributors to the format. And some of them would be big ones. Like you would get Fatal Pushes, you would get Teferis. But other times it would be like, you know, we were just talking about uh, 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 Ravnica, not Guilds of whatever, the first set of the Ravnica 3. Ravnica 3. <laughs> guilds of, yeah, Guilds. Guilds of Ravnica, where it was, not Guilds of Ravnica, that's the first. Yeah, yeah, Ravnica Legions is the second one. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you're Okay, cool. Uh, guilds of Ravnica, where you have, yeah, Night of Autumn and... Arclight Phoenix. Arclight Phoenix, which is like two very powerful cards. Arclight Phoenix definitely was a tier one deck, definitely modified the format, but like... That's that's what was happening. Since then, cards just have to be banned so often because of the new cards being printed that it feels like modern is being modified pretty regularly. And do and people don't like that. And and, and kind of the reason they don't like it is why modern exists. Um, and the, the the idea is that modern is a place where I can pick a deck, I can good at that deck, I can you know win a GP playing Affinity because my weekend is this weekend, or I can play Jun and I'm going to win once in a while because Jun players always win 55% of the time, and eventually that's your 55% is that weekend. Um, and it feels like the format has been flipped over so many times last year that no one's been able to... It's like building a sandcastle with dry sand. Well, okay, so I think, I think that that's a good sort of introduction to this idea, which is that modern feels distinctly in a different place than it did two years ago. Um, in those days, you talked about with Night of Autumn, which was a very impactful and very good card, but not a format-defining card. Arclay Phoenix was. Arclay yeah. Phoenix was an actual format-defining card. But, but generally speaking, if one card comes out of a new set that is format-defining, I think if that was the case, if it was a single card per set and that happened two out of three sets, we'd be fine. That's great. That, that, that doesn't feel rotating. That just feels like... You're getting new blood, yeah, but, yeah. but really starting in, you know, 2018, which I think is when War of the Spark came out, you mentioned there's at least seven or eight cards that feel like they have changed the format drastically. And even corset cards started to feel that way. And, and the more we kind of talk about it, I almost want to say with Dominaria, every standard set has printed a card that became the best deck card in modern or be, became the best deck in modern. Right. And I think that's more of the issue. Are you saying that because Teferi 5 mana became Blue-White Control was the best deck? Well, Blue-White Control was very good, but with with Teferi added, it, it like, like I think Wizards stated the reason they didn't unban Stoneforge Mystic until the next summer was because Teferi, like Blue-White decks were just doing so well consistently for a year that it, it was probably, and Teferi is probably a weak, the weaker end of the scale, which is an insane statement because some of the, like Teferi is an insanely powerful so card, good, yeah. but like Art Light Phoenix came out and blue-red Phoenix decks became the best deck in the format. Before that, that deck did not exist or was like, you know, blue-red, Kiln Fiend-esque. Like, I'm yeah. trying to gain value off of casting a bunch of spells in a turn. And then Arc Lake Phoenix came out and that deck's now the best deck in the format. Um, then, we go also, to, then we go to Ravnica Legions. Before you go there, I just think also like sort of on that topic, you know, talking about Dominaria and, and how impactful it was. I think if, if, if Teferi is a good example of the power level of like what a really pushed card is, but I think some of the things from that format that had sort of minor impacts are great examples of where sets were, right? So like the Wizards Lightning, Wizards Retort stuff, those were being played in tournaments. They were they were good. People liked those cards. There was Blue Red Wizards. There was Mono Blue with, you know, with like, you know, basically Fairy Wizards where you would get a counter spell. There was, I mean, those cards showed up. There was a bunch of cards from Dominaria that had that kind of effect. Or at least people and tried making work where they're exciting in an interesting way. 
that's what you would normally expect out of a set. One card, maybe two that are kind of marquee, and then you know five to ten that are all pretty cool. It keeps magic fresh. Flash forward to the next set, different story. Yeah, no, I, and I think I think that's like that's the line, I guess, right? And then you know, and then we go in the next set, right? We go we go into to 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 Ravnica Allegiance. It's fine, right? There are powerful cards from that set, but nothing that like broke the format. And then we hit War of the Spark, where like we just listed cards that each one became a format defining card all on its own. Like Modern for six weeks became War of the Spark led, and then <laughs> uh, then Modern Horizons comes out, and Modern Horizons jokingly referred to as Commander Horizons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, little did we all know, flips Modern on its head again. Right? You not only do you have what Hogak did, right, which was the very forefront of that moment, you then have Astrolabe, kind of just, like, once Hogak is gone, Astrolabe has been a problem in modern, and arguably a card that should be banned, but because cards keep being so much more powerful than it, at its base level of problematic, it keeps dodging that ban list um, announcement, and, and, like, that's kind of the, I think some of the frustration people have in general, right, the fact that there are cards that all are on banning conversations from War of the Spark that can't get a moment to be talked about in a serious way about being a problem because they keep printing worse problems. Since then, every single set, like, and and when I say every single set, I'm including, because like, Modern Horizons happened, but then 2020 happened, and uh, N20 happened, where like, Field of the Dead. Field of the Dead has like. Summer. I mean, M20 had really good stuff. Flip the format on its head. By, like by itself, that's also been like a contributor to a lot of these problems. I think also, you know, if you go back for a second to War of the Spark, you know, be, just because because I think, okay, so Modern Horizons, we can talk about the power level of the cards, but it's a little different. It's not a standard set. So it it's the expectation that the cards were going to be good was already there. We already knew we were to get something special and, and, and it's great. Like it's, 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 I actually think. Its purpose was to fix a stagnated format, right? They were coming out with it because they wanted modern to be a wider breadth of decks possibly available or different play styles that were previously unex- unpowerful to be more powerful. But you talk about the stuff that you saw in, you know, uh, War of the Spark, and it's like you, you mentioned the top five cards, but like you didn't even mention like Uga and the Ineffable or like, you know, you didn't even mention like uh, Mayhem Devil, right? That's that's Tomio collector collector Mayhem Devil. Yeah, Mayhem Devil's from here. Tomio was in this set, and she's Tomio. I mean, Jace Welder of Mysteries became a combo card that was winning winning tournaments. I mean, like Nessu who shakes uh, the worlds. Uh, yeah, Niv- I mean, this, this, reborn. This set had legitimately ten cards more that flipped the format. Like, actually, were like impactful, huge, huge mainstay cards. So that's like what sets the stage for then Horizons that I think, you know, if not for War of the Spark, Horizons, I think would have felt like kind of a little bit more impactful, mm-hmm. even though Horizons felt enormous. It just mm-hmm. would have felt like more unique. But it honestly felt like a standard set and a supplemental set were almost like the same level, which is nuts. Well, that's and that's like like Modern Horizons gets, I guess, a pass. The, the problem with Modern Horizons is it falls in the middle of this moment. Right? And this is kind of the issue that happened with Pioneer. Pioneer is currently not doing well as a format, and it's not doing well for three reasons. One, it's more affected by standard power levels that people are already sick of by the time they even get to Pioneer, so companions are kind of dominating the format. Two, the like soft launch of let's ban a thing every week during a period of extreme ban fatigue and, and contributing to that ban fatigue has made people just as wary of that as they are of other formats. And C, coronavirus sadly came around during the first time there was going to be a pioneer tournament season. So, so those three things have actually led to historic becoming, which we'll, we'll eventually do. I think the plan is next week to do a full episode on historic historic becoming the premier non-rotating format uh, after standard, just because so much more of magic right now is being played on arena doing to the virus. So like the fact that modern horizons came out in a period of time where just fatigue with power level was happening is what I think yeah. has hurt it a little bit in its eye or, or it both made the problem worse and it made it look worse. Uh, same and, and like the fact that I want to say war, of the spark is one of the best sets ever printed, but then Ikoria came out with the companion mechanic and affected it so heavily. And Eldrain is out there with Oko, maybe the most powerful standard card printed since Jace. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that's, we're going to get there in just a quick second. And, and our point here tonight, guys, is not to just do a review set by set. I think it's trying to kind of like set the stage for kind of why did we ask the question? Why do we ask the question? Is modern becoming? Has it become a rotating format? And so, you know, War of the Spark and, and Horizons obviously had enormous impacts and Horizons impacts were a little bit more predictable. But now you mention Oka. You mentioned Eldraine and it's a good set. Eldraine is a great set, but Oko, just because we had had this massive impact of Planeswalkers from War of the Spark, I mean, 50% of the cards we mentioned were all Planeswalkers. You know, they had had this enormous impact to then see Oko and start to play with Oko. And by the way, Oko is amazing and, and totally stupid and broken and unfair, but like the Royal Scions is a great card. It's a fairly powerful card. Mm -hmm. It's a really good, like really powerful. I would argue that if Oko wasn't in the set, like a Hallmark Planeswalker that people would remember and like, it's a modern play in Death Shadow. It's a card that I like a lot. Mm -hmm. Probably our biggest miss too from our ranking. Yeah, and that's like considered to be like very, very, very low end of its era. Like not even a top 30 card of its era. Oh right? yeah, like, easy. Well, I mean, we, like, we mentioned we, there's 10 cards from Ikoria. There's 10 cards from War of the Spark. There's at least four cards, if not six cards better from it from... Uh, from uh, Eldraine, Theros uh, uh, um, Beyond Death, which I haven't even gone to, has at least four cards that are better out of without me thinking, and then and then twenty twenty has two, so that's that's thirty cards ish. If if the Royal Scions had been printed in Rivals of Ixalan, do you think it's the best card in the set? Yes. So, I mean, that's a, that should be a pretty strong indicator of what the last few years has done to modern and like really actually where we're at. Rebels of Big Salon is on a list of the past. I think it's top or bottom three sets since they started playing magic again. Right. Like it born of the gods and dragon's maze, even dragon's maze is better than and dragon maze is better than the two just because voice resurgence yeah, is in the set and, and wear tear and. Yeah, there's like random things in that set. Yeah, yeah, I don't like I think Rivals of Ixalan is I think Born of the Gods is actually the worst. We like went through this at one point. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's that's kind of the point, right? Like like the like 10th best card in Eldraine is better than most of standard sets cards in yeah. general. Um and Eldraine's not like Eldraine is the third or fourth most powerful set in the span we're talking about. It's it's not right. It's not even the most powerful set. I would say it's third. Yeah, it's third in depth. It's first in single powerful card. Because do you think Oko is better than any card from any set? We're so it's like it's about? like so. So what you're comparing Oko to? It's better than anything in War of the Spark. Yeah, I could say that. Other than maybe like Oko is better than three, like three, you know, three fairy. It's probably better yeah, yeah, than. Yeah. I, I would debate I would debate Arboreal Grazer versus Oko. No, <laughs> I think it's better than anything in that set. <laughs> Renin Six uh, or Well that's yeah, that's like Modern Horizons is it so Modern Horizons has Ren Six and Hogak. Um I think Oko is worse than both of those cards, though Hogak is a special case. Uh it's better than anything from twenty twenty. Renin Six is totally contextual because it's so supported by its environment. Oh, if, it's like if Wasteland exists, Renin Six is better than Oko, but Wasteland doesn't exist, so we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Oko is just like a brutally. Also, also we've said this before, but I think Oko is maybe the least fun planeswalker to play against ever printed. Um, yeah, at least, uh, yeah, yes, I can say that yeah. confidently. So, all right, so we well, three fairy sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. Really suck. <laughs> um, so, okay, so Theros Beyond Death. Can we just visit for a second? Yeah. Is there anything from Theros Beyond Death that's on the level of what we're Uh-oh. talking about? Again, Uro, but both. I mean, honestly, both Titans, both both Proca Titan Uro. Giants, I mean, Elder Giants. Uro's really good, but like compare Uro to me for me to like what you think the power level of the cards we just talked about. Like, exactly. is it like, like equatable? Okay, so Uro, you think Uro and Oko are like not that far? I think Oko's better than Uro, but I think it's not like miles better. I think Uro is under the line of problematic, and Oko is above it. Okay, but again, if, if if Royal Scions would have been the best card in Rivals of Ixalan... I think Uro is, is leagues better than Royal Scions. 
So, okay. So there you go. So, so, so we're not having the same kind of depth that we had out of those two sets back to back war of the spark and uh, modern horizons, but we still are having standout cards that are being pushed that feel like they're bringing up the power level in standard. And then conversely bringing up the power level in modern, because, you know, again, the, the difference is pretty vast between modern and standard, but a great card's a great card. So, so, you know, you also have underworld breach, right? Like, like, Theros Beyond Death, Death also had insane power level cards. And some of them are like, why? Like, why does Underworld Breach exist? It's a good question. We <laughs> talked about it a little bit when it got previewed, when we did our preview episode. You know, we, we obviously compared it to, to, to Yogwill, mm-hmm. like I think most people did. And I guess because in general, they want to they want to push, they want to push power level and they want to give us sort of reminders and harken back to really good cards from years past. Um, and I guess that was the newest way to figure out how to do it. It was, it was manipulating the graveyard and sort of the escape mechanic, but ultimately it does feel like sort of an unnecessary card to have been printed. I mean, why do you think? Oh, I think, I think they wanted to try, can we make a fair Yagamas wall? Right. And they've done it right. Uh, uh, what's it called from Innistrad, uh, uh, Every card gets flushed back in your graveyard. Like that card is fine. Pass and flames. Pass and flames is fine. And and there's like Niv Mizzix's mastery from Commander products. So this is an effect they've like played with, and it's been relatively fine uh, in the past. So they're trying something else with escape. They balanced it in a way that was actually playable, right? If it was like a, otherwise it doesn't see play in a weird way. But just it ended up being one step too far, partially just due to the repeatability, right? Being able to recast cards from your graveyard. And and being able to manipulate that makes it too powerful. Um, you also have like Dried of the Legion Grove, right? That's that's another card. That card's nuts. Uh, yeah. That's insane from 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 Theros Beyond Dead. I mean, I think Theros of the sets we're talking about, other than maybe M twenty, is probably the least powerful. But at the same time, I think Uro's the second best. I, I think Uro's the best card that hasn't been banned. It's not the most okay, unfun so card Uro- that's been banned. You think Uro is like on that scale now where it's people it's in the crosshairs like it's it's that good because I mean, I I don't I don't totally disagree with you in in the sense that like I've played Uro and played against Uro now enough times to know that sort of like because I think there's a level to magic cards when you talk about what constitutes a banning Mm -hmm. and some of it is format consistency if there's one card that's just everywhere. But there's also that that feeling of like. When someone plays a card against you, this is how Oko felt. Do you feel like you're suffocating? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun for me. I'm like having a hard time, like thinking about my next move because this feels the inevitability feels impossible. Well, this, and there's a really good article. I think it was Sam Black on Star City. And and he wrote kind of the inevitability engines have changed for magic. And like Uro is a great example of that, right? Like this early game Grants me, draws me a card, and gains me life. So it, it's like stabilizing the in the best way possible. And then late game, I'm just always going to have access to a 6-6 six, six value draw card engine life gain stabilizing force. And is that good for magic? Not good as in powerful because it's very obviously powerful. And, and you add that to other cards where like so, – so when I say Uro is the best, I think – like, I think to do fairies, probably a more likely to be banned card than Uro, partially due to its misery in gameplay status. Like, right, people hate that card. People don't like Uro, but they don't feel this. It's just another threat, right? It's And it's gaining value in life, but it's not seen. Teferi's, like, making me hate playing Magic if it's a, in, in play against me and I can't deal with it. Um, the other cards kind of in the format that are of a similar level are... Like the companions, right? Like those, like Luros, I think is banned before, um, or or companion. The mechanic is changed before Uro yeah. is banned, um, and then I can't tell you what the power level of companions are because it's they're different cards now, so I don't know what that would be. But yeah, I think, but I think Uro is at that level. I think all of these cards are worse than our Boreal Grazer. But <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I get it. I could com- compare Uro to like Spirit Monger or like a card from its day that was like dominate like dominated standard in the same way right spirit monger for those of you guys in audio that don't know is from apocalypse it's 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 black green three i think it's a six six for one you can regenerate it for like one you can make it any color you want i think it's whenever it deals damage to a creature put a one one counter on it um so you know it has the ability obviously to get bigger and protects itself it's a good creature like there's i would i would play that as like card 23 in some cube decks for sure um but it's definitely not a card that's on the same level as a oh no, not at all six six 
that comes out of your graveyard for four that gains you life, puts lands in a play when it attacks that also like, it's not even the same conversation. It's a little unfair though, just in the sense that that is a card that was the best card in standard in an era where creatures were bad. Right. That was still an era where magic was much more focused about the way combos were played or if you were playing creatures, you're better off playing a Jackal Pup. Like Jackal Pup was the card that was. Yeah, OK, but like good but like within era. a year of within a year of Spiritmonger, two years is 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 a uh, Psychotog, which again is like the best creature It like the world champion creature. It's the it's the literally defines the format. And, and I, like, I, again, I think I think Psychotog is worse than Uro. For sure, it's worse than Uro. Yeah. It, like, again, it's not the same <laughs> conversation. Like, right. it, like, like Uro needs so little support. It, like, needs so little around it to be good. Right. Like, like if you look at that era of magic, the best three creatures, you're talking, like, Shapeshifter, right? You're talking about... You, you mean uh, Morphling. Morphling, sorry. Morphling, you're talking about Psychotog, you're talking about Spiritmonger, and all three of those cards, like, Morphling would be just not played. And, and to be honest, wouldn't be played in standard... For a while now, but but kind of back to Uro and what cards I think it's comparable to. I think it's Sphinx's Revelation. And I think it's better than Sphinx's Revelation, which was maybe the best card in Return to Ravnica standard. <laughs> Where do you see the correlation between those two? It's a it's a pure, a, pure a mana for catch up. No, no, it's it's you gain life and draw cards. I mean, that's that's oh. the majority of it, right? Like this is a, a you gain life and draw cards. And once you cast it at the end game, you are probably winning because you've now gained so much advantage from it. And Sphinx's Revelation came in. You drew five cards and gained five life late game. Or Uro comes in the sense that you gained one card and drew a life early game. Then later, and you drew you drew two cards and gained two life. And then late game, you can then recast that card, gaining more life, drawing more cards, stabilizing, and now having a threat. I think they're they're mm. pretty comparable. Um, Interesting. And, and yeah, effects, I mean, Uro is just a better version of it. It's just like not even close. Like Uro to me is just like ten times the card the Sphinx's Rev is, but. Um, and it's not even the right. best card in standard. <laughs> like that's that's what's ridiculous, right? We're comparing Uro to all of these cards from seasons past to that, like these big bads. Um, and Uro's not, and, and it's better than all those, and it's not even close to being the best card in standard at the moment. I mean, like it might be, like it's in contention, but like it's definitely not the first band. Well, so, all right. So if the question we started the episode with was, is modern a rotating format? I mean, recently it's felt that way. And obviously, you know, we we know that preview seasons around the corner for M21. We're going to start talking about that. We're going to start talking about, you know, kind of all of these new cards that are being introduced. Obviously, companions are, for as long as they're legal, enormously impactful. Um, are we happy with the kind of impact that standard sets are having on modern i mean are you do you like it being a rotating format i, I, I kind of want to walk through also like why we walk through all these sets right we're trying to show literally between war of spark coming out modern horizons coming out the bannings of hogak eldraine coming out the banning of oko and uh, uh once upon a time theros beyond death coming out and now akoria coming out and in between the COVID happening, so like time slowing and speeding up at the same time because time no longer matters. <laughs> this podcast and turnips on my island and Animal Crossing are the only thing keeping my calendar together. <laughs> it, you have like literally that's that's every two and a half. Uh, that's every two months. Every two months in the last year, modern, not to mention pioneer and standard and every other format, legacy has been totally modified from the upcoming set. And and a you know, this isn't like Wizards knows this, right? Like they've already said, we are trying to fix this. We understand that this is a negative. It takes us two years for the stuff we're working on today to affect you. Please bear with us over that time. Pioneer was maybe a mistake going into that mentality, right? Like they, they announced a format that they were going to soft launch using a rolling ban list, a no ban list Pioneer. That was, a, I think, in my opinion, a mistake to launch that type of format. Weirdly enough, historic is the opposite version of that. <laughs> um, and then, but I, I think it's a negative. I think one of the things you want from a non-rotating format is stability um, because of the investment, right? Like now players are mad because they, it, modern is expensive, right? That like when we were on the professor's show, the first video that came out, half of the comments were just like, ha ha ha, I'm not going to play modern because it costs me right, my arm right, and a leg right. or I'd rather buy a Ferrari. <laughs> uh, but when it comes down to it, you're really looking at like 
Modern is not that expensive if you don't have to change your deck ever, right? Like, like uh, the point of it is in standard, I have to change my deck every three months. And therefore, the cards are cheaper because they're new, but I have to keep up with it. So the overall dollars out the door over a two-year period is, a, is, is comparable to what one modern deck would take to buy over that time. But a modern, if it's rotating every two months, how do you keep up with that financially? Unless you have a gi- like giant... I have a pretty large modern collection and I am currently unable to keep up with the current rotation of the format. That, I mean, that's the, that's the true answer to the question is you have to have an enormous collection, which is not fair. It's not a fair expectation as somebody who's had a good size modern collection at times, then had to sell cards off or trade cards off. I mean, look, if I didn't have you <laughs> as somebody I could call and mostly borrow cards from like it just were not. I can't play. I can't play when the tournaments come up, when I want to go to a GP, when I want to play on FNM. Like, I, I'm not able to do that. The, the, the concept that Wizards is overprinting products or, or the, the, the idea that what products are for each person is really challenging. Um, because I think that they're making product that are supposed to be for niches, niches, but I think there's less niches in Magic than people really think about. Yes, there are players that are only commander players. There are players that are only modern players. There are standard only players. There are limited only players. But there are a lot of players that are all of those things. Or there's a lot of players that do a little bit of everything. Or there's a lot of players that are two of those things, right? And then when you print stuff like the Secret Layers, the reason they're exciting is because they're iconic cards, but like most formats that can play Birds of Paradise play Birds of Paradise. And right. standard players even have some eternal relationship for the most part. And, and if they don't, fine. But they have, then, then sure, they're not hitting by that thing. But you have enough of your community that is invested in magic as a whole. Like this is a lifestyle. Uh, and so when you say not every product is for everyone... A lot of the time, every product is for everyone <laughs> and right. it's expensive and it's hard to keep up with. And at the same time, because of the power level of standard negating the formats, my eternal formats, to the extent that they haven't been stable for over a year means that the money I have going out the door to be able to play this game is making it hard for me to keep up. And... At what point does that make a player no longer want to play? I mean, I, I think that's a very, very interesting question you ask. I think the, the I think that reality that you're talking about is one that, you know, especially now that we are seeing such a shift to online magic, you know, with Arena and, and uh, MTGO, I think that the, the real question people are asking themselves of what's the cost of this game? You know, like really, truly, how does what does this game cost compared to other games that I could be playing in now in this environment where most things are done online? Is it worth it? Right. Like we we believe because we have 25 years, 27 years of magic history. We love it. We we believe that it's sort of the holy grail of games like it's, there's nothing else that compares to it. It has more history. It has. But if you're like a player that's been at the game for two years, like whenever I'm at FNM, like drafting, you know, Often the guy I'm playing against, the girl, the person I'm playing against tends to be, oh, I played Magic for a year, two years, maybe, you know, three is like a long time. I started playing in Theros, right? Like, that's like, that's like what you hear. It's it's rarely is it like I've been playing for 25 years. So it's like the, you know, and and people have been playing in the time frame when they could have adopted another game. And I think that that's the question you start asking yourself is how unique does Magic feel to a newer player? Not to, not to, not to us, because we're, we're a different class. So, so. I'm pretty confident that Magic is the best tabletop trading card game ever invented. Is it the best digital card game ever invented? I don't know. Um, and in some ways it is, like because there are things that make Magic as good as it is, and and just the background of the world and just the history. One of the reasons Historic is exciting is because they're able to look at old cards and add it to the format however they feel like. The fact that I can now play Ulamog or or Imperial Rights is so tight. <laughs> but the, like... The, the the idea of new players and, and kind of withholding them, I, you know, no one that's making magic wants magic to get hurt, right? They're all, all working their not. best. Kind of. One of the reasons that this power level spike has happened is because they realize that standard sucks when mono red is the best deck for two years in a row. Um, that like the Ixalan era that we mentioned is is the opposite version of this being bad. And so they realize that if we push cards to be powerful, but in new and interesting ways... 
maybe people that maybe maybe that makes a more exciting standard and and, and it ends up that the pendulum swung too far and it just takes time for them because they're making it and that, that's the, the the conflict with digital magic right it takes time for them to print new cards and they can't change old cards digitally hearthstone if they print a card that's too powerful they make it a 2-2 versus a 3-3 or they make it cost five mana versus four mana uh, right, or, right, or right, right, right. They're able to because it only exists in a way that Digital. when you reload your collection, they can just make it that they all change. Wizards can't make Loros a six drop. No, they they just can't because I have a physical one and it says it's three mana on the card. I think this is something that's gonna gonna get fixed. I think some of it is just Wizards is making a lot of product and figuring out how to do that. I think secret layers are a layer on top of the bonus product on top of the different draft sets. The fact that these draft sets are so expensive and every single time. People complain about it. And, and I think the biggest issue is that Wizard says this isn't for everyone, right? But it is for everyone. Just it's only they're pricing it in a way that it's not for everyone. And that's the complaint. It's not it's not like everyone. Most people want to draft at least once to head a, a double double draft or whatever. Double rare. The, the new set that's coming. Double masters. I think it's called what it's called. But most a lot of players won't because they can't afford it because it's $17 a pack. And that's, I think, the the issue where people are complaining. And so it's not that that card that it's not that I don't want to draft that. It's that I can't. And that's, I think, the people issue people are having. And secret layers have that issue as well, where I'm now buying these things because I want those cards. Those are a little bit more extra uh, extracurricular because um, I don't need them to play the game. But even those that are meant to be kind of exciting for people but they're not for me. Like the commander products are, are, are a different line, right? The standard sets are a different line. Let me ask you this though, on that subject. So like, all right, $17 pack, double rare draft environment. It's still balanced by the idea that the most expensive cards in the set are what are bringing the price up, right? Like you're still going to open rares. It's still going to happen. Like right. you're still going to open packs that have bad cards. So how is this that different than like expeditions and masterpieces where it's even more limited? You're open, you're opening packs but, that but have those are those are in, in four dollar those are in four dollar packs. Yeah, but but the disparity of what you're opening the value in is but people so, people like, aren't not gonna, people aren't mad that they can't open packs. They're mad that they can't draft. Got it. Okay, it's purely just based the draft experience is being limited by the price. Not and not they're sixty dollars really when I'm all in to be able to draft a set of double masters. And but you don't think that like so many products being released, there's so many extra sets now in the last five years that like if one set gets released, it's like a premium expensive set. I mean, look, but how many master those, sets were expensive. What was the last premium set that wasn't, I mean, I guess mystery boosters, which you could only play if you are able to get to a GP or they were $30 a pack. Yeah. Like that. I think that's kind of the complaint, right? Is that, is that you say that there's a lot of these products released, but they're kind of not, there's not that many other than, secret layers and commander products which aren't for everyone like commander products aren't for everyone that that is true now there's powerful cards in them that make them exciting for people but those are built not to be like if you don't want to play commander or you don't want the cards in those set you're not going to buy it yeah you'll buy the singles draft formats are different right like and 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 this draft format the reprint one is even weirder because it's it's meant to reprint cards for modern and Pioneer and Legacy or whatever set the cards are from. We've seen cards that are in it. They're for sure cards that are modern relevant. It's meant to be drafted. So it's meant to appeal to drafters. So that's most of Magic. <laughs> and Commander players, I guess, is the third which There's, we've, you know, Kali of the Vast is in it. So, like, this product is for everyone. But it's priced so that it's not. And that, I think, is the complaint that people have. And, and, Got it. and I think that, like... And there's not really a good solution. Like the thing that people also don't remember is, and Wizards touched on this a little bit, the reason a pack costs as much as it, the, the cost of a pack dictates the value of the cards inside of it. And in reprint yep. set, it's the reverse almost, where Ma Magic printed Modern Masters 1, where literally every single pack I opened had made my money back if I bought it at yep. retail. At $7 retail, I made my money back in every pack. But because of that, every store on the planet charged $12 for it versus seven. Right. And other than the store that I pre-ordered the box ahead of time, before we even knew what was inside of it, that's what happened across the board. And wizards realized after that, that, you know, they should just start $6. Then why are they charging the store $3 to sell it at seven? They should charge six to sell it for 12. And that has increased or decreased depending on what's inside of it, because whatever is inside the pack, like the value of a pack, Basically, it's a value of a box has to be equal to the cost of the box when you open it. Right. Otherwise, if it's if it's more than that, 
stores will just open packs until it's less than that. If it's yep. less than that, people won't open packs. And like, there's like an equalizing level at that level. And so when you put a bunch of really expensive reprints into a set, it affects the overall cost of the pack in a free market environment. Which, which is, which is interesting there. because Wizards has said openly they can't comment on the secondary market, but they obviously pay attention to the secondary market because they have to, because that's how they make their sets. Right, right. I mean, and, and there's reprint equity, like they mentioned that, which is like this card... We don't want to print every good card that we have available all in one set. And I think that's what kind of what happened with Modern Masters 1. Right? They printed all of them. And then for the next four Master sets, they like were limited in the cool cards they could print. They had to like dilute them a little bit. Um, and and so I think that they're they're just figuring out what that world looks like. Um, and th- that that's the issue, right? They can include a bunch of cool stuff in a box because if they include too much good stuff, the pack is just going to be raised. The price of the pack is going to go up. That's what happened with the the Fetchland secret layer, right? They said a number vaguely because they don't set SRP on the professor's episode with Blake announcing the product. And the number was like $100 more than that. And that's because most stores that got it were like, oh, I'm just going to charge 300 bucks because that's how much six Fetchlands cost. Right, right. And, and as soon as one store publicly started doing it, everyone else started doing it. And so... It, it's it's kind of a weird battle that Wizards is playing with all of its retailers of if we print a product that is worth more than what you're supposed to charge for it, you'll charge more. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. I mean, it's, it's it, that's like that's like the free market mentality of the whole thing, which is like this is what has been dictated by the audience. This is what they're worth. So you can't just say like this is worth X, but the audience is like, but I want to pay Y. Well, there's and, like worldwide boxes. Jason's were a hundred dollars, and it's kind of the reverse happened. And this is what the the treasures did, right? Not treasures, um, the um, masterpieces. The masterpieces did, right? A value of a box of Worldwake was a hundred dollars, and it's and Jace was a hundred dollars. So every other card in that box was worth less than a dollar until years later, when Manlands and Stoneforge Mystics and, and and the other cards in that set that were good raised in value. But while that was in print, you played the Jace lottery. And if you opened a Jace, it was worth $100. It was worth more than 100 because every box had like 0.75 chance of a Jace. Stoneforges. Um, and then you would get Stoneforges. And all those you'd open, worth nothing. Because Jace was carrying the weight of the value of that box. Yep, and right. that's what happens with magic boxes. That's Which what is one of the reasons why Manlands were so useless for such a long time. Not useless. They just were cheap. They were yeah, I mean, I, like colonnades were like a dollar for a yeah, long yeah. time. Well, and then, like colonnades especially because they were the buy box promo. So every box got you a colonnade. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, there's not a lot of solutions for what to do with the price of a box and it sucks. Um, and, and I agree. Who is this made for? And I don't like that's, that's, that's kind of, I think where we're at with that. And that's layering on the fact that internal formats are rotating. So people's investments in their collections and the deck that they've spent a long time doing is falling out from under them. That's, I think, what the strife of the moment is among all of the other things in the world is, is the, the price of my collection is depreciating at the same time that you're charging me more for things that are depreciating my collection. (laughs) And that's, yeah, that's, that's the part of it that I can relate to that I agree with is like, I hate the idea that like on, on a month that I'm more like keyed into magic on a month that I'm less keyed into magic, my cards are worth less money. That that's, that's hard for me to, to realize like, you know, and then I look back and something that used to be worth $40 is worth $7, but there's like some new thing that's outclassed it or a new version that's way cooler, you know, something like that. So um anyway i think that kind of wraps up the topic tonight i think the answer to the question is you know modern is obviously not a rotating format though i would love to know what you guys think in the comments are you happy with the way that it's functioned the last couple years where it does feel a little more like one i mean is this the way you want it to feel are you are you inclined to play more modern if it continues this way or less yeah there's there's like a a general collection question that i'd love to hear the answer to of just Do you, do you, what do you want? <laughs> what would you like wizards to do? Um, and, and, and one thing is be nice to them. First off, be nice to like all of the public facing wizards employees. They are n- generally not the cause of these situations. They care so much about magic. They've kicked their at, they've designated their life to making this game literally the greatest game, I think, on the planet. And there are issues happening right now, but being mean to them on the internet is not okay. 
Um, don't do that. And in fact, don't be mean to anyone on the internet. Positivity is a good thing. Uh, and, but yeah, like Morrow and Gavin and Blake and all of the teams in the, in, 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 on the PR inside, like they are the front lines, but they do not be mean to them. You can issue complaints. You can be calm about them, but definitely no death threats. <laughs> um, but I would like to hear from everyone on, uh, on what they think the, what what the problem might be and, and, and what 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 issues they're facing and what solutions they want and and I, I mentioned this in the hot take next week but um, also uh, make sure to go you know stores are hurting right now like this issue is at hand to them and they are if you have an ability to be able to pre-order product from them or do pickups or help them definitely do uh, they need your support as much as anyone um, definitely check out um, our social media uh, Twitter Facebook Discord. Um, I'm Twitch streaming about once a week, uh, twitch.tv slash Cass Wiley. Ben has a new YouTube channel, Nerds and Suits. Um, yeah, please check that out. I'm actually, uh, I turned 32 years old in about a week and a half. And my goal was to try to get to 2000 subs by my 32nd birthday. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but we're, you know, we're only a couple hundred away. So if you guys are watching or listening and you have been a fan of what we're doing for a long time and you want to help me out, you want to support, I promise you I'm working my butt off on the content. Really I am uh, interviews and doing music stuff on there. So go check out youtube.com slash nerds and suits. It would really mean. So can I call you a nerd now? I mean, I think I've always been a nerd. I've always worn suits. Yeah, that's that's all. Those are the two things to know about Ben Bateman. Um, So yeah, and and, um, beyond that, make sure to subscribe, like, follow. There's a bell below. You'll get a little alert every time a couple new episodes. um, Between hot takes and this and our streams, all those things get posted to YouTube. So definitely check that out. Um, Big thank you to... Uh, Marshall and Time Travel Media for helping kind of make these show the show happen. And thank you to our patrons for helping us uh, be able to kind of afford all of the stuff and technology, including Marshall, that, that make the show happen week to week. Um, and thank you guys so much for watching. We, we love that you guys keep doing it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Pinky's out. Oh, wait. <laughs>